morning. Good morning. Welcome to Naples United Church of Christ. I am Reverend Angela Wells-Bean, and I serve as your minister for congregational care. Whether you are in person or worshiping with us online, we are so glad you decided to join us on this Sunday morning. And a special welcome to our folks at Arbor Trace who are gathered together and worshiping with us as well. And uh, I'm David Greenhaw, and I'm the interim senior minister, and I also uh, welcome you and encourage you to uh, register your attendance by taking uh, the blue pads at the center of the pews and signing and passing them down. That would be uh, great. And if you're online, if you could register your attendance in the uh, chat box or in the, uh, I don't know, the thing you register your attendance in there. So uh, thank you. Um, I knew I'd foul that up. That's okay. You did great. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, there's a lot going on in the life of our church. David and I are just going to bring a few things to your attention. The first is an event happening tomorrow afternoon in Beverly Hall. It is co-sponsored by our Environment Subcommittee and our Justice Committee, and it's continuing the conversation about affordable housing. And we're going to welcome April Olson. She works for the Conservancy of Southwest Florida, an organization many of you are probably familiar with. She's their senior environmental planning specialist and is going to talk about development. And that is in Beverly Hall tomorrow at 4 o'clock. It's also going to be available hybrid by live stream if you're not able to be with us in person. And the other announcement I have is on behalf of Sandy Goldstein from the Bargain Box. Our Church's Thrift Store, which does an incredible job of supporting our church's missions and outreach and our grant-making program, they need clothing. This is the busiest time of year for them when they have the most customers and they don't have enough clothes, and that's their number one seller. So please don't wait until the end of the season to clean out your closets. Do it now. Clean out your closets, get those bags of clothes, and you can drop them off um, right in the little house in our church's parking lot. And the folks at Bargain Box and our board of missions and outreach and all of us would be very grateful. We don't want you to take the shirt off your back, right. just the one at the back of your closet. Not, so, all, not all, all your clothing. Your clothing. Not all your clothing. All right. <laughs> so um, uh, this is the 50th year uh, of our church life. This congregation began in 1973 and the weekend of uh, March 10, 11, and 12 is the big celebration weekend. And on March 11th, in the evening, there is a gala. And the gala is in McSpadden Hall. We're going to squeeze as many as possible. And there's a notice about it in the bulletin. And uh, we urge you to uh, mark your calendars and register for that as uh, soon as you can so that you can uh, be sure and join us for that. More to come on more events uh, later. So last week, I got to preach a stewardship sermon, and I uh, encourage you to do several things. One is to not dawdle. And I've got to tell you, some of you have, have succeeded. You are not dawdlers, and I am so glad. We have lots of people who have responded already, and it's great news. One of our major goals was to increase the number of pledge units, people who are pledging or couples who are pledging, from 355 to 390. And we're not there yet, but we're underway. But our goal, that's a 35 new unit increase. And as of this morning, we have 26 new pledgers in less than a week. So, uh, 
So be sure you're one of the last nine, and I don't know, maybe we'll even go over. Wouldn't that be great? So thank you for your, uh, your good work on that as we move that stewardship campaign along. Um, I think I'm at the end of the announcements. How about you? I had one question for okay. John Bachman. Is there intersections today? Yes. Okay. I wanted to confirm that. So after today's worship service, upstairs in N207, John Bachman will host a conversation with Linda Goldfield, the CEO of Youth Haven. So please get something to eat and drink and then head up to that for that important uh, interview between John and Linda. And that's all I had. Good. Then right. what do you think we should do next? I think we should worship. Let's do it. <laughs> It has often been said that two hands are better than one. Apparently, four are better than two. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Don't let it be put out, not just mine, but yours and yours and yours as we gather to let our light shine. Let us worship. I invite you to turn to your bulletins and join me in our invocation. Let us pray together. You are the God who makes extravagant promises. We relish your great promises of fidelity and presence and solidarity, and we exude in them, only to find out, always too late, that your promise always comes in the midst of a hard, deep call to obedience. You are the God who calls people like us and the long list of mothers and fathers before us who trusted the promise enough to keep the call. So we give you thanks that you are a calling God who calls always to dangerous new places. In our worship this morning, we pray for your grace and mercy among us that we may be among those who believe your promises enough to respond to your call. Amen. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for the vastness of the heavens, the stars and galaxies that extend beyond human comprehension. In the words of the psalmist, even the most distant reaches of the universe, if we go there, you are there. God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for the vastness of the earth, the mountains and valleys that array the landscapes of the world. The strange mix of quiet and noisiness of a deep forest where few people visit, but vast arrays of creatures abound. We give you thanks for the driest of dry places on the surface of the earth, of a desert, even there we are astounded at the adaptation and development of life. And then, O oh gods, there are the depths of the waters 
waters that cover three-fourths of the planet, waters that sparkle with freshness, waters steeped in brine, waters that barely move still, still waters or waters with surf that pound the shore. We give you thanks for these. God, we are in awe of the tremendous array of the fishes of the sea, more sizes and shapes and colors than we could count in a month of Sundays. All of these places, heaven and earth, desert and seas, forests and mountains, each of them are literal places that inspire us. And each of them are symbols that speak of the complexity of our lives. For like deserts, we have long, dry spells. And like an ocean, we have depths nearly impossible to see. And like a forest, we are an odd mix of noise and silence. We are grateful, O God, for the actual literal world in which we live and amazed at the power of symbols and metaphors to sound the depth of feeling, of fears, of hopes and hurts. Our prayer today is set in juxtaposition with the time of Jesus when on the ground Jesus' ministry was set by the sea where he was near the fish that were caught and with those who caught them. These are both literal places and symbolic forces. And so in thanksgiving, O God, we pray the prayer that Jesus Jesus taught us, a prayer with heaven and earth, bread and kingdoms, literally, And figuratively, we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, hear these words from the Scripture, the Holy Scriptures, from the Gospel according to Matthew, reading in the fourth chapter. Feel free to read along. It's printed in your bulletin. Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, 
he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat of their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed, and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I went to seminary at Union Theological Seminary, which is on the way upper west side of Manhattan in a neighborhood called Morningside Park. And when I got to the seminary, one of the first things I had to do after getting settled in was find a home church. I was raised here on the west coast of Florida, every Sunday going to Lakewood United Church of Christ. That's the church that held my membership. They sponsored me as a member in discernment throughout my ordination process, But this was before the days of Zoom and live streaming, and so I couldn't go to Lakewood UCC while I was up in New York for school. So being the loyal UCCer that I am, I set about my task of finding a new UCC home church. I visited all the churches in Manhattan and the outer boroughs. None of them felt like the right fit. So I tried them all again. I could have made some of them work, but they didn't feel like the right match. At the same time, I was doing work study because I'm a student and I needed income, and my job was to work as an office administrator at Trinity Lutheran Church right near the school, also just south of Harlem. And one of my responsibilities was to make the church bulletin every week. I was terrible at this job. I, as a consequence, I now have a lot more empathy for people who make church bulletins. I don't think there was one Sunday in which I got it perfectly right. There was always some mistake. So please be gracious with your church publications, folks. It's not an easy task. But I thought, you know, maybe if I go to Trinity on Sunday morning and I experience worship with them, I'll get a better sense of their flow of worship and I might do their bulletins a little bit better. 
So I show up on Sunday morning. The pastor, who I have a great relationship with because we work together, she's thrilled to see me. She didn't expect me to be there on a Sunday. And everyone is very friendly. I take my seat in the hard, non-cushioned wooden pews. You know the ones I'm talking about. And the service starts. And I think to myself, this is it. This is where I belong. Now, there are a bunch of reasons why this wouldn't seem like a natural match. For one thing, the services were much longer than I was used to. The sermons were longer than I was used to. They took communion every week. Part of the service was in English and part of it was in Spanish. But I just knew in my core that that was the right church for me. I loved the people. And after going week after week and developing more relationships with them, it reaffirmed what I knew. So I was a Lutheran for three years while I was in seminary. Now, there are folks in the world who make decisions based on logic and rationality and reason. They can tell you the steps they took to get to the decision that they made. These are the people who make pro and con lists and they actually follow them. But by and large, I don't think that's most of us. I think most of us make choices based on our instincts, based on our gut, because we just know in our core that one choice is right for us or our family or our future. Now, this brings us to our scripture today from the Gospel of Matthew. It's a very well-known text. You might have heard it before in which Jesus goes and calls the disciples in the Sea of Galilee. And it might be helpful for us to know what happened to Jesus just before this happens. It's at the very start of his ministry, but he's just come from being in the wilderness for 40 days while fasting and being tempted by Satan. You might know that story as well. So I don't know about you, but if I had just been in the wilderness by myself, forced to survive, I would have been fasting because I probably wouldn't have been able to find food. And I would probably be emotionally, mentally, and spiritually depleted. I probably resemble something like Tom Hanks' character in Castaway, if you've ever seen that movie. So we can imagine that Jesus is probably not in a great headspace. He has every reason to go back to his family in Nazareth, lay low, eat good food, sleep a lot, reconnect with his folks and develop deeper relationships. And he's also, on top of this, just found out that his cousin John the Baptist has been arrested. He's now in Roman custody. Another reason to not ruffle any feathers, not draw attention to himself, right? He doesn't want the Roman authorities paying attention to anything he's doing. Maybe go back to his carpentry, but that's not what he does. In fact, I think that his experience in the wilderness and his awareness of his cousin being arrested are the catalyst for the start of his ministry. He knows that he has been called for such a time as this, that God needs him to continue what John the Baptist has started. He can't lay low. He knows in his core and in his gut that he's being called to be the leader of this movement, but he can't do it by himself. So he goes to the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he asks the first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to drop their nets and follow him. Now, being a fisherman at that time was back-breaking hard labor, and I don't want to minimize that. But it was also stable and steady, right? You get up every morning extremely early. You go fishing. You get your catch. You bring home your wages. You go to your family that you're able to provide for and support. 
There's something to be said for that routine and that familiarity. So when Jesus asked them to give that all up, let it all go, walk away from their families, they could have said, no, thank you. We are fine just the way we are, right? We're going to continue with the lives as they are. You're going to have to go find some other people to be your disciples. But as fishermen, they also know intimately well the oppressive imperial economic system. They know the heavy taxes levied upon them. They know that 70 to 90 percent of people living under Roman occupation have substandard qualities of life. They are not okay. And they know that if there's any shot of taking on the most powerful empire in the world, it's with this guy, this itinerant rabbi. So again, in their core, they know they have to try to at least make some kind of difference for them and their community and those who will come after them. So they take this huge risk and they leave behind everything they know and follow Jesus. Now, some of you folks might not know that here at our church, we have a task force on membership and growth. And this task force has been going to the monthly meetings of our boards and committees. And they've been asking them to be more intentionally invitational. The reason why is because most people come to a church for the first time because of a personal invitation, because they came with someone they knew or someone invited them. That might be your experience. That might be why you're here today, because someone invited you here. And I have had the privilege of sitting in on these conversations and listening to our church leaders share why they came to our church and why they stayed. Now, I have yet to hear anybody say, I had a rubric. I had a list of things I was looking for in a local church, and Naples UCC ticked all my boxes, and so I signed on the dotted line. I haven't heard that yet. I have heard things like this. I came in the sanctuary, and I sat down, and it felt right. It was so warm and inviting. I talked to people after worship in the gathering place, and they were so kind and friendly. I just knew. I felt like this was where I wanted to make my church home in Naples. It's all these feeling words, right? We just know in our core. The way I knew I had to make my church home at Trinity Lutheran in New York City. And so if you feel that our church is working to bring about God's realm on earth, if you feel that we walk with one another through the highs and lows of this life, that we care for each other, that you've experienced transformative worship and powerful music performances, whether in worship or at a concert, if you think our mission and outreach through our giving and our volunteering is making a difference in the lives of people here in Southwest Florida and beyond, if you've learned anything in any of our educational offerings, if you think our justice and environment committees are paying attention to the most vulnerable people and our care for creation, don't keep it to yourself. We don't want to be a well-kept secret here at the corner of Seagate Drive and Creighton Road. We want people to know about Naples UCC because it's all about relationship. When Jesus knew that he had to continue where his cousin had left off and continue to build this movement, the first thing he did was get people to do it with him. He knew he wasn't a one-man show, right? So he got Peter and Andrew and James and John, and then he got Mary and Martha and all these disciples to be in ministry alongside him. And the same goes for our church. We are not meant to be Christians in isolation. 
We are meant to do this work together, to travel this spiritual journey together. And the larger we are, the more of an impact we can make. We are better than the great, uh, we are greater than the sum of our parts. And so our task force on membership and growth is challenging all of us to talk to people we know. Talk to your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your golf buddy, your tennis buddy, your coworker, your dentist. Talk to the person who bags your groceries at Publix. Invite them to come here. Because what a shame it would be if somebody could fit here and partner in ministry alongside us and they never get the opportunity to simply because they're never invited. Because just like you belong here, the odds are good that someone in your social network belongs here too. So I ask you to have the courage to talk to folks and tell them to drop their nets, drop their hesitancies, their reluctancies, all their hangups and misconceptions about organized religion and all the reasons they have that they would never want to be part of a local church. Ask them to drop those things and give you just one day and follow you to Naples United Church of Christ because you belong here and they might too. And so let us all try to be intentionally invitational. Gracious God, all that we have and all that we are has come from you. We dedicate these gifts and our lives to faithful service in your name. Amen. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus needed Peter and Andrew and James and John. And all these years later, he needs each of us, not on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but on the shore of the Gulf of Mexico, to continue to bring about the realm of God on earth. So may each of us do our part to be intentionally invitational, and may you know before you leave this place that each of you is a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image, and I pray that you go in peace. Amen.